Chapters 9 and 10 of Briarwood Girls. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Velwest. Briarwood Girls by Julia Lestarget Glover. Chapter 9 Adventure of the Lamp. Late one afternoon, a few days later, five of the kindred spirits gathered in Kathy's room to talk things over, for the excitement over the recent happenings in the school still ran high. Evelyn, Polly, and Joan sat on the bed, Rachel in the window seat, and Kathy on a low velvet stool, known as the Stool of Repentance. A light snow was falling outside, making a pleasant contrast with the warmth and comfort within. The girls were all talking at once, yet mysteriously each hearing what all the others said. In the midst of the babble, the door was pushed quietly open, and Rosalind slipped in, looking ashamed and sorry and confused all at once, doubtful of her welcome, yet anxious to be back in her old place among them. "'May I come? I knocked, but you were all talking so hard you didn't hear me.' "'Of course you may. Here, sit down beside me on the stool of repentance,' said Cathy, making room for her. "'It's the right place for me, I know,' said Rosalind meekly. "'I've been horrid lately, girls, but I'm one of the K.S. still, unless you've turned me out.' "'We haven't. You deserted us,' said Polly, the blunt. "'But we are glad to see you back, Rosie.' she added frankly. "'I'm dreadfully glad to be back, if you've all forgiven me. I've missed you terribly. I don't exactly know how it happened. But I'm sorry. What were you all talking about when I came in?' asked Rosalind, as completely one of the group as if she had never left it. "'Why, of these odd things that have been happening lately,' explained Joan. "'You know, the disappearance of Kathy's ring and necklace and—' "'But I found the necklace this morning,' interrupted Cathy. "'I meant to tell you, but you haven't given me a chance.' "'Why, Cathy, where, how?' a chorus arose. "'When I moved my trunk out from the wall to sweep behind it,' explained Cathy, "'I found a little parcel wrapped in tissue paper. "'I opened it, thinking I might have dropped something there, "'and inside was my necklace, all crushed together in a ball and the clasp broken.' If anyone knows anything about it, explanations will be in order. The girls, silent in sheer amaze, looked at each other, and then at Rosalind, who gazed blankly at them in return. I didn't put it there, girls, indeed. I don't know in the least how it got there. But do you know anything about it? asked Cathy. "'No, I don't. "'It looks like the one Marcia wore the night of that party, "'but I thought it was hers, and it may have been.' "'She said nothing about it to you?' "'Not a word. "'Please believe me, girls.' "'Of course we believe you,' said Joan, "'with an emphasis on the last word. "'Well, at any rate, the necklace is found, and I'm very glad.' "'I will have it mended and take better care of it,' said Cathy gravely. "'I haven't found my ring yet, nor has Rachel's pencil-case been discovered.' 
"'That is what I came about,' said Rosalind, gathering courage. She opened the handkerchief which she had held crumpled in her hand, and showed the two missing articles under discussion, a locket and chain, and one or two other small articles. "'I found them in my dresser drawer just now, in a little box. Honestly, I don't know anything about them, or how they got there.' "'How did it happen that you didn't find them before?' asked Rachel, reclaiming her property. "'I haven't cleared out my drawer lately, and the box was at the back, under a pile of handkerchiefs and things. The drawer was in an awful mess, and I was hunting for a collar,' confessed Rosalind, with a shamefaced grin, for her untidiness was a proverb. "'I brought it to you as soon as I found it,' she added, and there was truth in her face and voice. The girls believed her. "'But what does it mean?' asked Joan. "'Oh, don't cry, Rosie. We know you didn't take them. You're silly enough sometimes, but you wouldn't steal.' The others assented readily. They all knew that while Rosalind might be led away for a time by folly and vanity, yet her nature was true and sound, and she had a conscience. She knew quite well that she had been led astray by her love of pleasure, and her penitence was sincere.' "'I can't understand it a bit,' she began, when the door was opened again, abruptly, and Allison appeared, a pale and dismayed Allison with wide, frightened eyes. "'Girls, have you hidden it on purpose just to frighten me? Please don't tease me, but tell me it is just a joke. I know you only meant to frighten me.' "'Why, Allison, what can you mean? We haven't done a thing,' said Kathy, speaking for them all. Allison flung herself across the bed, already sufficiently occupied by three substantial girls. Joan caught her and pulled her into her lap. "'Here,' she said, shaking Allison roughly by the shoulder. "'No hysterics, or I'll slap you. Just tell us what is the matter.' Thus importuned, Allison checked her sobs and raised a tragic face. "'My lamb! I'll never see it again!' "'Nonsense!' How could you never see it again? Tell us, is it broken? It's gone. Gone? Uh, not your beautiful Aladdin lamp, Allison. Why, it couldn't be lost. What do you mean? Allison pulled herself together and tried to speak collectedly. I've been down in the library all afternoon, taking notes for my English. I came up to my room a few minutes ago, and as I looked round, I missed the lamp. You know where it always stands, on my table. Well, it wasn't there. And I thought, I hoped, that some of you may have hidden it for a joke. If you didn't, then I don't know what to think. What a ridiculous idea, said Polly indignantly. A fine joke it would be. What do you take us for? I couldn't think what else could have become of it, said Allison, beginning to cry again. Joan began to comfort her, but Kathy checked the words on her lips. "'Listen, Allison, who was in your room while you were gone?' "'Only Marcia. I left her studying algebra.' "'And where is she now?' "'I don't know. She was gone when I came up.' "'And your lamp with her,' added Joan. "'I have an idea. Wait a minute, all of you.' She ran across the hall to Allison's room, returning promptly. Come, all of you, and see. The girls followed her and stood puzzled in the doorway. We 
here are Marcia's things, demanded Joan. A glance around the room showed it empty of all that had belonged to Marcia. The girls looked at each other. Kathy was the first to speak. We must find Marcia, girls, if she is to be found, and ask her if the lamp was in the room when she left it. A hasty but thorough search established the certainty that Marcia was not in any of the buildings. Neither, apparently, was the lamp. It was almost supper-time when the girls came together again to report failure. "'What do you think?' Allison asked. Joan, as usual, was the spokeswoman. "'It looks to me as if she wanted to go away and has taken the lamp to sell it in order to get the money for her ticket. She could not sell jewelry, of course, but a handsome lamp might bring a good price. She has looked even more forbidding than usual the last few days, and I know she hated school.' She put back the other things she borrowed and tried to throw the blame on Rosalind by hiding them in her drawer. She knew Rosie was in Kathy's room with us, and she had a clear field. So she carried out her plans and ran away. Well, said Kathy after a pause, if Joan is right, we ought to report Marcia's disappearance at once. If she has really run away from school, Miss Harland will have to know it. Chapter 10 Discoveries the whole school was thrown into a ferment of excitement over the discovery of Marcia's disappearance. No one exactly told anyone, but the news flew from lip to lip with the speed of that little bird so famous for its gossiping tendency. The school buildings were searched again with no result. No one had seen Marcia go out, yet she was certainly not in the school. Miss Harland telephoned to all her friends in the town with whom Marcia might be supposed to be staying, but no one had seen her or heard from her. In great distress, Miss Harland called up Marcia's father, Mr. West, who was staying in a hotel in a nearby town, and asked him if his daughter was with him, and to her intense relief received a quick and reassuring reply, yes, his little girl had just arrived by the late train. She was so homesick for her daddy, she could not stay away from him any longer, she told him. Could she speak to Marcia herself? Miss Harland asked. There was a brief colloquy at the other end of the line, and then Mr. West spoke courteously. Marcia had just gone to bed with a bad cold and could not talk that night. Tomorrow he would talk with her, and with a pleasant good night, he hung up. Relieved from her fears for Marcia's safety, Miss Harlan gladly relinquished the search for the night, and the girls were forced to restrain their excitement and go to bed. The next morning Mr. West came in person to talk with Miss Harland. Marcia was still in bed, and too hoarse to talk, so she had asked her father to explain to Miss Harland why she had left school without a word to her. She could not bear to be away from him and hearing that he was about to leave for Chicago to accept a position there, had hurried to join him, and being in haste to catch the afternoon train, had not had time to take leave of her friends and teachers. It was foolish, he said indulgently, but he had spoiled his little girl and could not be hard on her. Miss Harlan asked him quietly whether Marcia had said anything of having borrowed something of one of the girls. But Mr. West shook his head. He would ask her and let Miss Harlan know, and politely bowed himself out. Later he telephoned to say that he had talked to Marcia, and she had declared she had borrowed nothing of her friends. She and her father were going to start for Chicago the same night, 
and she would have no opportunity to say good-bye to the girls and Miss Harland. Her cold was better, and she sent her love, and wished them all a Merry Christmas. Miss Harland returned with a similar wish, and smiled as she hung up. She was glad Marcia was safe with her father, and was not sorry to have seen the last of her. So Marcia left Briarwood, and with her departed something that had spoiled the spirit of concord and happiness which usually prevailed in the school. The girls were happy and at peace again. Joan returned to her old place as Allison's roommate, and their room became, as before Marcia's coming, the rendezvous of the kindred spirits. All would have been well with Allison, but for the grief for the loss of her lamp. No trace of it had been found. There was no certainty that Marcia had anything to do with its vanishing. But Joan, always practical and logical, maintained that since Marcia and the lamp had been alone together the whole afternoon, and since the lamp, having no feet, could not have left the room by itself, it was plain that Marcia must have assisted its departure. Allison said nothing, but she grieved deeply with no hope of ever seeing her treasure again. The Christmas holidays were drawing near. The girls were busy with plans for the two weeks' vacation, looking forward eagerly to going home, and the teachers were equally anxious for the coming of the last day of school. Allison felt as if she could scarcely wait. Her gifts for the family were bought. The book she knew her father had long wanted, but had not felt he could afford to buy for himself. The new dress for her mother, who would never get it for herself. The roller skates for Billy. The pretty scarf for Floss. The doll for little Matt, who had not yet outgrown them. She hovered over them lovingly, fondling each package as she wrapped and tied them with a lavish expenditure of tissue paper and ribbon. How she blessed the memory of Aunt Justina, whose generosity had made her gifts possible. "'I can't wait,' she said, and laughed at herself for her impatience. The only flaw in her happiness was the prospect of having to confess at home that she had lost her Aladdin lamp. Two days before the twenty-third, Joan, looking over her lists, made a discovery. "'Allison, I'll have to buy some more cards!' I forgot a whole bunch of cousins out in Texas who will be sure to send to me. I must run down and get some more before they are all gone. Come with me. It's snowing a little, but not too much. All right. Run and get permission while I put on my hat and coat. In a few moments, Joan came back with the required permission, and the two girls set out, running down the steps of the terrace and out into the snowy street. The snow was coming down more briskly, but they only laughed and enjoyed the frolic as they ran down the steep hillside and reached the level street on which the stores were. The ten-cent store, the shopper's delight, was packed with late shoppers like themselves. Joan struggled through the dense crowd at the counter, pushed and jostled by the good-natured crowd, while Allison waited, amused and interested. It was a lengthy ordeal. But at last Joan had found all she wanted and was ready to go. It was nearly dark by this time, and the snow was thicker, swirling about so as almost to blind them. "'We must run or we shall be late for supper,' Joan said, and they made what speed they could. Suddenly Allison stopped short, before the well-lighted window of a little jewelry and antique shop. "'Look, Joan!' "'What are you looking at? Oh, do let's hurry,' urged Joan." But Allison stood still. Do you see? There. 
in Mr. Delaney's window. Is that my lamp, or isn't it?' Interested now, Joan stopped. "'It is yours, or it's twin,' she decided. "'I didn't think there was but one.' "'I believe it is mine. I'm going to ask about it.' said Allison, and turned into the warm, bright little shop, followed by Joan. The proprietor was a friendly little Frenchman, well known to the girls who frequently purchased their gifts there. He came forward, bowing and rubbing his hands. "'You want something for Christmas, is it not? I have many pretty things,' he offered. "'I came to ask about that lamp in the window, Mr. Delaney,' Allison said, too eager to beat about the bush. "'It is exactly like one I lost.' "'Will you tell me where you got it?' "'That?' the old man looked disconcerted. "'It was not meant to be in the window at all, but my assistant, he has not much sense. It is not for sale, mademoiselle.' "'But how did you get it?' Allison persisted, and seeing her earnestness, he looked puzzled. "'It was sold to me, mademoiselle, by a young lady, I, I think, from your school. I have seen her pass with the other young demoiselles. She asked me not to sell it again. She needed money.' and if i would buy it from her she would come back and redeem it later her father was ill very ill and she had no money to go to him she was coming back to get it later so i lent her the money on it but i have not seen her yet the girls looked at each other so alison's generous heart said perhaps marcia did mean only to borrow the lamp perhaps she really meant to return it but in the meantime what if it should be sold by mistake, or even stolen before that time came? Should she risk leaving it in Mr. Delaney's shop even overnight? "'Mr. Delaney,' she said, "'I know all you say is true. I know the young lady who sold you the lamp or borrowed money on it. She was my roommate at school, and she has gone to her father. As she said, that part is true. But I want my lamp back at once to take home for Christmas. Can I get it from you now?' Mr. Delaney looked puzzled and doubtful. "'I promise the young demoiselle,' he began. "'If she were here, she would give it back to me. If Miss Harlan comes to you herself and explains about it, will you let me have it?' Allison asked persuasively. "'I will pay you, of course, just what you advanced to the young lady.' "'But certainly, if Mademoiselle Harlan herself assures me that it is all right,' agreed Mr. Delaney affably. "'Then please put it away for a little while until she comes,' begged Allison. They flew home to report the discovery and the difficulty to Miss Harland, and late though it was, she went with them at once to the little Frenchman's shop. Mr. Delaney was so impressed by her quiet dignity and authority that he readily parted with the lamp for the sum he had paid to Marcia for it, considering that he had come out very well on the transaction at that.' And in triumph, Allison carried her treasure home, feeling that her Christmas was assured. End of chapter 10